Good morning, Grace Place family, both on campus and online. We're so glad you're able to join us today and be with us. I had to smile uh, when Vanessa was making the announcement and she said uh, that Michelle was speaking because my wife Michelle is not here, but I know there's another Michelle back there and she's like, you're speaking next week. I didn't know if you knew that or not. But <laughs> If you uh, have your Bibles, open them to um, Ephesians. Uh, we've been in the book of Ephesians now for quite some time. Uh, originally, when God laid this on my heart, I thought, well, a four-week series. And uh, the Lord had different plans. So we have uh, kind of meticulously gone through this. What a great job Lawrence did for us last week, didn't he? I mean, uh, helping us uh, and. I thought I had left the difficult one uh, to him, but the one we have today is quite challenging. Um, so we are skipping um, the order a little bit because uh, what is was in line would be in line normally for today in order would have been about uh, children and parents. And we want to save that for the dedication Sunday. So it's ready and packaged and ready to go. Uh, today we're going to talk about the challenging one, which is masters and slaves. And we're going to take a look at that passage uh, out of um, Ephesians chapter 6, beginning at verse 5. So find your place there. We'll stand in a minute for the reading of God's Word. We are grateful that you're here today. We know that God has something special every time we come together. We don't want to take any moment for granted because these moments on the divine calendar of God are uh, significant. They are life-changing, and uh, I was really moved. Thank you, worship team. We don't often uh, give them a round of applause for what they do, and I know they don't require it or ask it of us, but they put in such dedication and time. Um, we, several uh, years ago, we asked them to move what they, they gather together on Thursday, and uh, we originally had it as a practice, and so then we started putting things together a little, you know, trying to get the information out to them earlier so that the practice would occur before they came and that they would be doing rehearsals on Thursday, and I know it's been really challenging for them. They all have day jobs and other things going on, and we just really appreciate them and the anointing of God on their lives. Uh, I was thinking about something I saw uh, this week online, and uh, I don't know if I can completely mimic it, but uh, there was a comedian, a Christian comedian, who was, um, we have various challenges, I think, when we come together to worship. Uh, there's, a, there's an understanding that other people are around, somebody might be watching, you know, and, and uh, so uh, it, our worship practices grow, right, as we are continuing to grow in the Lord, and in the beginning we might not have been comfortable at all with uh, raising our hands, you know, during worship and that kind of thing. The Bible clearly says for us to do that, a sign of surrender as unto the Lord, and encourages us to do that, to use our, our whole bodies in action and worship for the Lord. So the Christian comedian was talking about how we kind of start off, you know, he says, uh, first it's just hold the baby, you know, we're just kind of like hold the baby, just hold the baby, you know, or a little bit, and you get a little more comfortable, you know, then we might go, I caught a fish this big, <laughs> and if we're not completely honest, it actually was this big, you know. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, then it was like, uh, you know, we all familiar with the goalposts, you know, the goalposts, everything goes. Sometimes heart, you know, heart and goalpost, heart and goalpost, and double heart and then goalpost, and you know. And then he, he was talking about how his his favorite one is is Mufasa, you know. We just like, uh, <laughs> but as you come here every week and as you're online uh, as well, we want to encourage you to worship the Lord with all of your body, your mind, and your spirit to 
completely surrender to Him. He is certainly worthy, amen, of all the praise and the glory. So we're coming to a little bit of a challenging text today. Uh, we'd like to invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word as we look at Ephesians chapter 6, beginning at verse 5. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people. Because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free, and masters treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. Heavenly Father, we come to you asking that you would Open the text to us in a way that we can receive and understand it, that we would avoid temptations to contextualize what is said here into our times, and that we would see what you were saying in that time, which is proper exegesis of Scripture. And we would learn from it what you're saying, the powerful message of what is going on in this climate as you invade the earth with your presence. This letter from Paul, first read in this congregation, Lord, and they are uh, many new believers, and walking in their faith, Lord, afresh uh, and anew. And so it is today, we have people that are here that have been burdened with things that they feel are okay to do, and they're being challenged as they come together in the congregation of faith to live and to see things differently. We are grateful for what you've done and what you've accomplished. We want to be patient with you as you work on each heart. And we want to ask that you would just move today, pour out your spirit upon us as we open your word in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you as you're seated. Those who understand what Paul is saying here, then uh, you will realize that these individuals, um, you know, what they realized in Paul's day too, that were listening to the letter read, namely, that the Spirit of God comes when He comes to live in us as an, as an individual. It changes everything, and it changes particularly the way that a person thinks. And at this point, uh, you know, Paul, uh, the point that Paul is making here, and and that he has, he has taken in um, Ephesians in this section and narrowed down these three crucial areas for everybody. Uh, nothing more significant to our daily lives than the understanding of, of husband and wife, the challenges of parent and child, or as we're looking at this morning, the industrial relations of human resources and the everyday events of life that some report to others and others are in charge of them. And so let me be clear about this, that the gospel changes our view of everything. And it changes uh, us radically. And uh, in, in many instances, it changes us instantly. And in other instances, it changes us gradually as we lay hold of truths and begin to put them into practice from God's Word. I love what C.S. Lewis said about it, which kind of 
will help us as we enter into this today. He said, I believe in Christianity as I believe in the rising of the sun, not simply because I see it, but because by it, I can see everything else, right? And how many of you know in your walk with with the Lord that you have come to see things differently than you did before your walk with the Lord? And day by day, you're seeing things differently. God is changing your perspective. The gospel changes our view of marriage. It changes our understanding of what it means to be a wife, what it means to be a child, what it means to be an employer, what it means to be an employee. And here in this paragraph, uh, we begin this morning in uh, verse 5. He is dealing with the impact of Christian faith in the workplace, right? Now the ESV uses bond servants. And translating the Greek noun dolus, It simply means slaves, slaves. And he is addressing those who are slaves and is addressing those who are masters of the slaves. Now, the very fact, and I want to pause here for just a moment and let this sink in, the very fact that he is doing so indicates something to us immediately. And namely, that within the congregation there in Ephesus, presumably sitting side by side as this letter was given its first reading, there are those who were found in each category. Those who were in the role in life was within servitude of a bondservant and those who were in a position of having slaves within their home. Now, when it comes to this, immediately challenges many of us and certainly uh, challenges me personally to make sure that I'm not immediately sidetracked into dealing with this, viewing the materials that we have before us in the prism of the Civil War and the context that, uh, you know, that we are looking at this to try to contextualize it through the context of 150 years ago for us here in America. It's always a challenge, and as a proper, uh, Amanda and I uh, walked through uh, biblical study which is a different practice than just reading or devotionalizing uh, the Word of God. And when you are deepening your studies to understand what is being said, it's always challenging for us not to immediately try to apply it into our immediate situation or contextualize it based on what's going on around us in the world. And that's what it means, you know. Uh, But true exegesis of Scripture means we need to understand what was happening in that environment in that time Uh, on on planet Earth, right there in in the midst of the Roman Empire. And we need to understand what that meant in that particular setting and not try to paint it through what we have experienced or what we have known. Because for all those who have lived in this country and uh, where slavery has been abolished for a century and a half, it is near impossible for us to conceive of how that ownership of, of another person could be countenanced in this way. And so I think it's, it's proper for us to acknowledge that and that challenge when we come to this particular text and we're taking a look at it. Now, the easy thing for me to do would be simply to say, well, you will notice here that it says bond servants and it could be translated slaves, uh, that it actually means employers and employees. <laughs> How many of you are working somewhere you feel like a slave? Anybody? <laughs> uh, and, but you're way too bright for that and you're too smart for that. And you would say, wait, 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 
There's something being said here, and I need to I need to understand it as I walk forward in my faith walk with the Lord. And I want to help you do that. I want to address that. I want to get down to the, the root and the core of what is going on this morning. But first of all, as I said before, we need to understand the world in this time to which Paul was speaking. It's been estimated that at this time, about 35% of the population in the Roman Empire was comprised of those who were bond servants or slaves. That means to live in that time, one in every three persons was a bond servant or a slave to a household. It's difficult for us to get our minds around thinking that way. But it is important that we understand that because it makes a fundamental difference in that the function of that empire versus the function of what we and you and I live in right now. To have said that is abolished overnight, uh, what is going on there would have meant um, the crumbling of that, that empire, which eventually it did. And so if I think about it and I realize the fundamental importance that uh, each individual had in that society and their roles, I can see what was happening in that time period and not just contextualize it to my time period and what's going on now. And now there's no question that many of them were treated brutally and cruelly, this, uh, those who were uh, bond servants or slaves. But the fact is, to quote Westerman in an early era, the institution of slavery was a fact of Mediterranean economic life so completely accepted as a part of the labor structure of the time that one cannot correctly speak of the slave problem in antiquity. In other words, we can't simply speak of the problematic terms that we're dealing with in this era, given all that is represented in it. And just parenthetically, we need to recognize that there was no racial component in the Roman Empire, that they were from all nations and tribes and people who found themselves, including some who were Romans, who found themselves as bond servants because they had a debt to pay off and there was no way they could pay it off except to go and serve in the household to where they owed that debt. Westerman um, assessment also, he says that they are responsible members, all of, of these who are bond servants and slaves, responsible members at this time. Not, not every one of them was saved, but those who were in the household of faith were responsible members of the Christian community. And Paul is speaking to them, along with those for whom they serve. The most striking thing, first of all, I think for me, when I come to a text like this, uh, is, is what Paul didn't say. And matter of fact, it's striking what the New Testament doesn't say. And, and if you think about it, you know, it, it, uh, it's, it's what probably is the underlying thing that would bother us all. And that is, he does not say, slaves, now that you're a Christian, you are free. He doesn't say to the masters, you know, now that you're a Christian, you should never have a slave or a bondservant in your household. And I think there's two primary reasons that um, are, are the same for you and I today in our world. God is tolerating um, in our government in, in our nation, which is referred to by many as a Christian nation. Uh, extreme corruption through his grace and mercy is not judging that situation immediately. 
The condition of the world is broken by sin. So that's reason number one. By God's grace, our planet exists in its current sinful nature. It is the things that are happening here and the things that Paul is speaking to is not things that he is saying, they're okay, don't worry about it. But Paul is speaking to something greater than that. You now have a relationship to the Lord. There's a different way you see life. There's a different way you live. And, and there is a, 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 number two, I think, here. That, let me finish number one. Judgment's coming. <laughs> uh, number two, the gospel changes your destiny and, and your worldview. And I think that it's good for us to pause on this one for a moment as well. We tend not to be patient with people who are um, not where they need to be. Whether it's someone who is, is sick and they have a long-term ailment, we immediately are, are compassionate, want to help them. Uh, but as it prolongs, it's difficult. And I think we all need to acknowledge that we struggle with people that are going through prolonged uh, sicknesses. And, you know, it, it, we want them to get better, you know. We want them to get well. And it's a challenge. And it becomes more and more a challenge as that drags on. And so it's true of people who are struggling in their sin. And they're gathering together in the, in the, in the body of Christ on a regular basis that we get, grow impatient with them in, in uh, areas that are evident that they are not walking out their faith. And, of course, we all have a tendency to build a hierarchical of what sin is. And in our minds, we've classified certain things depending on what our background was. You're raised in church and you've grown up in church. There are certain things that are majorly taboo. Maybe you didn't grow up in church and there are other things for you that are, you know, a, a, a high level of, of uh, offense to God. But in reality, as we read through Scripture, all sin does the same thing. All brokenness does the same thing. It leads us away from God, and it leads us to be a slave to sin and a captive to it. And so here we see that uh, Paul is also addressing people that he recognizes that the state of their being today may not be the state of their being tomorrow or the next month or the next year or the next five years because they are coming into relationship with God. There's an on-working uh, grace, sanctification is what we call it, a work of grace that is happening in their life and they are becoming more and more aware of how life should be in God and not living as much as they used to live in the world. The things that were acceptable previously are going to become Non, not acceptable going forward. And so the gospel changes uh, their, their destiny, but which they're now you know, a, a member of the kingdom of God, but it also changes their worldview. And some of that happens radically, you know, immediately. Uh, drug addicts recognize, I don't need to, to partake of that drug. But then others of it, it, it is, is working out over time, and God is, is working on us day by day and moment by moment. In other words, the gospel received and acted upon gives you eternal hope, but it also changes your worldview, thereby the way you're going to live in this world. Lawrence referenced uh, Galatians chapter 3 and 28, which is applicable to what we're talking about today as well. Paul said earlier, he said in, in, uh, to the Galatians church, chapter 3, verse 28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female, for all are one in Jesus Christ. So what is Paul talking about? 
Well, he's talking about the nature of salvation. He's talking about the transformational work that has taken place in the hearts and lives of each one of those people. No matter what role they find themselves in in society, they have surrendered their heart and their life to Jesus Christ. And as a result of that, they are all one. There is no favoritism. God is not looking upon one and saying, you are more blessed, you are, are better than another. But God is looking at them all as his children and as he loves them and as his priority. And if you think about it logically, it makes sense because, of course, we know that even though Paul is saying this, there certainly are Jews, right? And, of course, there are Gentiles, and, of course, there are masters, and, of course, there are, are slaves. And so, whatever the title of the woman or the man of the world, our sinful nature has brought us together in unity that we were slaves to sin, and in our renewed transformational relationship with Christ Jesus, we have become free, and we are seeing life differently day by day and moment by moment. So whatever the title of a man or a woman in the world, sinful nature made us all slaves to sin. Man is sinful. Man is selfish. Man is self-centered. And man needs a Savior. And it doesn't matter what the title is in the world in antiquity or in our world today. Every one of us have that in common. We were all sinful, we were all selfish, we were all self-centered, and it is only in Christ that we are liberated and set free and made a new creation. As a citizen of the United States, I, I get worked up, <laughs> like you do, <laughs> of the injusticeness, of the lawlessness, of corruption in our uh, judicial systems and in our government. I get upset about uh, massive abortion across our nation. I get upset with Supreme Court and other judicial appointments that over their tenure uh, allow such evil to endure in our society. And that's me as a citizen, though. But as a pastor, I work hard to keep the main thing the main thing, both in my heart as I serve as a pastor, and a leader. And the main thing is this. The real transformational work in a nation is the transformational work of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is not decisions that are made in Washington, D.C., or in the U.N., or anywhere else. But the transformational work that changes a nation takes place because of the gospel of Jesus Christ accepted, acted upon, and lives surrendered to his lordship. And I, and I'm, I rejoice in that, because I, I have the understanding that the more Christians, the more Christian thinking. The more Christian thinking, the more Christian action. In art, in science, in politics, in media, in education, and in medicine. You want our world changed? Do you want to see something different in our public school systems? Do you want to see something different uh, in our governmental systems? Reach out to the people around you and tell them about Jesus. He's the one that will help them see this world differently. This is how those who are given a lot in life as, as uh, lesser or uh, have been marginalized in some way suddenly realize their true value. It's in Christ Jesus.
But if I were to forsake my calling and, and I, I may cause someone to be sidetracked in some way if I got off uh, and ventured into an area of trying to shape your thinking about our nation and our politics and all those kinds of things, and that became the primary issue of me standing here regularly on a basis and trying to contextualize what's happening you know, in, in America and, and tell you through the word of God uh, how to vote or how to act or, or whatever else. What, I, what is at risk is that uh, I, d I don't want you to become a political activist. I want you to become a mature Christian. Because when you grow up in Christ, you're going to live differently, you're going to love differently, you're going to walk differently. And you're going to change the world around you. You're going to change the, the world for the children that follow you and look up to you and, and call you mom or dad. You're going to change the world for those who are your neighbors and your friends and your coworkers. You're going to change the world around you where God has planted you. You see, the great slavery this morning for each of us faces is the slavery to which Jesus referred to in John chapter 8. When those religious people came to him and they're very proud of their, their status and their uh, place in life and, and uh, you know, all of the monikers beside their name that indicated that they had a trajectory in their world and their time period for greatness and that everyone would notice them as they walked up and down the streets and he says to them, you know, you really need to think about this, that everyone who sins is a slave to sin. It stopped them in their tracks to think that they were higher than a class of people they thought, and suddenly they are equal to, they are enslaved by their own passions, their lust, their drive, and their desire and sin that has imprisoned them. And that's the real slavery of all of us. And that's why he went on to say, if the Son has set you free, you're free indeed. You don't know freedom ever until you know Jesus Christ as the Lord and the leader of your life. And it is in that moment that you have surrendered your life to his lordship and you are no longer a slave to sin, but uh, a, a servant of the King of kings and the Lord of lords, that you suddenly experience a freedom like you've never known. All of the great martyrs um, who laid down their lives, they, they had this understanding. It, it made it easy for them to walk to the gallows, to, to walk to where they were going to be burned at the stake. That they were not in the hands of man is, is, is what Jesus said. No man can take my life, but I lay it down. And every martyr had that same understanding because they had the freedom in their walk and their relationship with Christ. They say, you can't take my life. I'm laying it down. I'm giving it. And there are greater things in store for me. You don't understand. There is more to life than this existence. And I'm heading for an eternity in the kingdom of God. I want to ask our worship team to come. And I want to be transparent with you for a moment about me personally. And that is that um, something has been happening and stirring in my spirit uh, really over the last month or so, and in particular over the last several weeks. And it is uh, 
for me, but I'm hoping that it is a burden that will be imparted upon all of us because I do feel like it is uh, a calling, that, but it can't come from me. It has to come from God to you and upon your hearts and upon your lives. But I, I have felt that he has been speaking to me personally, compelling me to do more for the kingdom. And um, it's, it's a very personal thing, and I could spend some time talking to you about, you know, um, how I think that's going to play out. But I simply would say this, that this passage of Scripture uh, really confirmed again to me what God's been speaking, the section where it says, I want you to serve wholeheartedly, as if you were serving the Lord and not people. Consciously and subconsciously, we serve, uh, and really a lot of our lives, all of us serve wherever we are, you know, whatever your jobs are, and it's true of pastors at times as well, that we serve dutifully rather than wholeheartedly. At times we also find ourselves serving in ways that will not ruffle feathers, you know, let's, let's try to, to keep true north and, and let's really not do something that will stir any contention or cause anyone to be upset. It's good for pastors not to have a weekly meeting in their office um, with members of the congregation. But for pastors, it can mean that, that we have come to serve um, people to keep the peace and not to challenge them to full obedience in Christ. And so... I say this both in the way of a personal confession, but also as a warning. It <laughs> uh, has always been, you know, my um, desire to please the Lord. And I seek to please Him by obeying Him, and I intend to do so. <clears throat> 